Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. On today's podcast is one of my favorite ones I've done in the last year, which is another film deep dive. I know we do these a lot now, but I'm just loving talking about stories, and it's just a fertile ground for us to continue to explore really the human experience. I mean, I hate to, to beat people ahead with what we do here, but that's really what it is. And it's just a lot of fun. And so without further ado, the film is Everything Everywhere All at Once. If you clicked on the title of this video, you know what it is. If you haven't watched it yet, I highly, 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 highly recommend you go do that. I have anyone who would listen to me, I've basically shared my thoughts on this film and that you should watch it because you'll take something away from it that's probably different than me, but it's still, I think, really captures the essence of what it feels like to live. I think it still captures the essence of what it feels like to live in this moment and kind of tries to put something on the screen that encapsulates what it feels like or the emotional undertone. With that said, we did record this before the Golden Globes, even though I'm posting this now. So I do want to add a little bit of extra here. So since the film has been released and all of last year, it has gone on now to be nominated for six Golden Globes and has won two of those. The first Golden Globe is for Best Actress for Michelle Yeoh. And then the other one is Best Supporting Actor for K. Hugh Kwan. And both of them won uh, a couple days ago here at the time of this recording. And it's just really great to see both of them get recognized for the performances they had for this film. And we also mispronounced or didn't have the name for K. Hugh Kwan on the actual recording day. But we called him by his character's name in the film, which is Wayman. So for that, that is just some of the biographical things on this to kind of hopefully push more of you guys to go watch this film. Other than that, we use this as a um, jumping off point for all of our explorations and different ideas. It could be other films that either did it right or wrong or talking about nostalgia and what it's like to live as a millennial and things like that. And we really just bounce around all focusing around the themes and topics associated with everything everywhere all at once which is really fun and i can't wait to see what the daniels who directed and wrote this film do in their next film because i think this really shows what they can do if given the license to just do something crazy and so it's just really fun for me to see a film like this with such a heartfelt message by the end of it that it, i think we all could be better for it realistically without further ado Please enjoy this conversation with my cousin, Brandon Wenzel, on everything, everywhere, all at once. We've been warming up for probably the podcast length at this point, but Brandon, welcome back to the podcast. And this has been a long time coming, to be honest, because we had more than enough to continue talking last time. But the reason we decided this was the time was around the film, everything, everywhere, all at once. Which, if you're into film, I think you've heard of it because it's bubbled around the sphere of people who just enjoy solid films that aren't loaded with ideology or whatever you want to call it. Like pomp and circumstance yeah. and <laughs> lots of some CGI, but not all the, the general Hollywood turnout films and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like an indie film that wasn't an indie film in a lot of ways. Yeah. Or at least you wouldn't see this kind of film being produced by a studio that as big as A24. Yeah. And then it went underneath the radar because I don't know how, it seems common for Hollywood because so 
Everything Everywhere All At Once was released within a week or two of Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. And yep. they have very similar themes if you look at them side by side. But in my opinion, one executes on the themes and what it was aiming for way better than yeah. the other. And uh, you can guess what I'm referring to yeah. <laughs> or inferring in that way I'm phrasing that sentence. But for you, uh, going into it, you just preambled with talking about, uh, I forget the actor's name. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll look it up, but it's a short round from Indiana Jones and also played Data in Goonies. The character's name in Everything All Once is Waymond. And he plays the husband who's a little overly optimistic, not taking everything seriously all the time. Yeah. But I, it's, it's funny, like, when a film it does something, it to me, like, it doesn't subvert your expectations in a way that hits you over the head. It's more of, it hits you with subversion where it's, oh, you thought we were making this character out to be, yeah. like, useless and throwaway, but in reality, yeah. they become, like, the connective tissue <laughs> for the whole thing. Which I actually thought his character ended up being, like, oh, yeah, he's... He it's and they perfectly they perfectly plotted out like in the fact that when you're watching the film it's clear okay Michelle Yeoh's character Evelyn she's the hero of the film you know, that's what she's there to do and it's when you finally get to that sort of third act when you start to realize that it's like no like this is this is a whole family affair this isn't her story this is her family story this is and every single person even the character of Wayman, who seems useless for a chunk of it, mind you, obviously. The He's still like the shepherd of the story in yeah, some sense. Yeah. His alternate version. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, that's something I talked about with, with a friend of mine shown the movie too. I thought it was interesting that with the alternate version of his character, the Alpha Wayman, I thought it was really interesting that Alpha Wayman was seen as this very strong character and clearly was somebody who... Michelle Yeoh's character saw as this is what she wished her husband was. Right, yeah. More authoritative. He's able to kick ass and take charge and stuff. And ultimately, never mind the fact that the Alphaverse caused all the problems they're dealing with and everything <laughs> because of their stuff. But it was the fact that ultimately, Alpha Wayman and his way of doing things was completely ineffective against what they were dealing with. Nothing that he was ever going to do was ever going to be... Actually solve the problem. Yeah, was never going to go over there. It wasn't until you had the the present universe's Wayman. He goes over there and basically tries to just appeal to everybody's humanity. But to go over there and say, hey, I, my, one of my favorite lines from the whole movie is when he goes over there and says, we have to be kind, especially yeah. when we don't know what's going on, because that's something I think everybody should take away from. And he's like, you think I'm being silly. You think I'm being, yeah, making everything into a joke. And in reality, I'm not this, doing that. This is how I deal with things because, and I even postulated to a certain extent when I was talking with my friend about it as to whether or not it could be the case. It could not be. But see, everything feels very deliberate in that movie. So I think there might be something to it. The fact that they specifically decided to go over there and call that universe the Alphaverse and the character of Alpha Wayman, when you think of like Alpha culture, this very take charge, kick ass culture and everything like that's how it's presented. But then oftentimes in reality, the people who see themselves as alphas are not only not helping the problem, they're just making things way worse. <laughs> and, and so I wonder if that was like a little bit of a, little bit of a nod because it could have just been all right it's the alpha verse There's yeah it's like an interesting take right because in most of these kinds of stories where you're dealing with multiple dimensions normally you're taking the perspective of the original universe that's reaching out right yeah. rather than in this particular instance you're seeing it from the perspective of 
you don't even know what you'd even call their reality, but they're, yeah. they're whatever reality they're from, they're just along for the ride that's been kicked off unbeknownst to them. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's such an interesting take. I don't know if you felt this or had this, but I was really worried going into it that they were going to take a very cynical approach to like a nihilistic approach to the story where it was going to be like, it like by the end of the story, the climax is that it doesn't mean anything and everything was going to be. Yeah. And it got there. It definitely got yes, there. But oh, then, yeah. It, but then, yeah, then it, it yeah. pulls itself back and gives you something to anchor in, which when, I thought was great. When I went into the movie and I'm going to totally pull my hipster card out on this one because <laughs> I went over there to like, I heard nothing about this movie. There was nothing. I saw two trailers for it. I didn't see anything about it until two days before it was going to come out. And then I saw the trailer for it. And I was like, how have I not heard about this? It has Michelle Yeoh in it. It's got the guy from Goonies in it. It looks like something I'd be totally down for. Why am I, why do I have a million trailers for bullshit that I'm not, that I don't care about? Where was this? And so I went over there and I didn't even bother. Typically I try to get people involved. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if anybody's going to want to see this one with me. This might be another hardcore Henry where I go see it by myself. And by the way, I've never seen that movie. That's a really good movie. That's a trippy one. Really good movie. Never seen anything else like it since no, then. No. <laughs> Still hoping for a sequel one day. Still hoping for a sequel. But yeah, so like, I saw that movie, like the day that it came out. And li literally when I went to go get my ticket, the guy who I went to show my ticket to to get directions to where to go, he was just is that supposed to be any good? I haven't heard anything about it. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. I'm going into it about as blind as you are. I'm just, I'm hoping for the best. It's crazy that the guy who's at the movie theater yeah, had, had still nothing. has no, like you yeah. think he, of all people, has seen pre-screening reviews or yep. something. Nothing. Nobody cared about this movie. And when I went to go see it, it was myself and about a half dozen other people, two of which were this elderly couple that were sitting in the middle of the seats. And I was just like, man, I guess this is definitely a hardcore Henry situation because that was the same thing. It was like me and three other people. And so my expectations were, I'm just like, look, I just want just to be a cool movie. I don't, I wasn't expecting a deeper symbolism or anything like that because years back now, Jet Li did a somewhat similar movie called The One that deals with interdimensional travel and stuff like that. I was like, look, as long as I get Michelle Yeoh kicking ass, I'm going to take away from this. I'll call it a win. And... When you talk about subverting expectations, like the benefit of going into it blind, of having just no idea what I was going Right, into. you don't have anybody's opinions it's, filtering it's, in. As soon as every scene ticked on, just, because to a point, it is that movie. It was the movie that I was expecting, a little bit different. But, and then it gets to the point where it's, oh, this is, we're going to do all kinds of stuff with this. And when you get to a point where you're over there, and I'm near in tears because there's two rocks and subtitles. It's like, all right, you've done something truly magical. I, dude, you're so spot on about that. Yeah. It's like, I've never been so emotionally involved with two rocks and just some quiet music or not even music. No, like, yeah, it's no like music, dust blowing just, or something. Just subtitles. And just, just subtitles and you're just experiencing it for what it is. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? And I would have loved to have been on the set for that day because obviously they went somewhere and had to film this it had to be a thing and i would have loved to have just been there just a fly on the wall because at some point maybe midway through the day someone had to have stopped and just been like this is either gonna be the best thing or the worst ever because this could be the stupidest thing we've ever done it's not brilliant in the way that it's presented and yeah I, yeah it's so it's so good you're totally right about that i can only imagine what the crew on set Filming two rocks 
It's like, who, who, I'm sure someone out there was like, what the fuck are yeah. we doing? It's, it's 120 had, degrees out here. Yeah. Someone had to be like, isn't there just B-roll we could take? I'm mm-hmm. sure there's some B-roll of some rocks. Like, why don't we just do that? Like, no, no, there's symbolism with these rocks. It's a thing. It'll all work out in hey, post. Don't me. worry. Trust me. And then whoever the investors were and everything obviously went through through the studio and stuff like that. And they clearly had to have some level of confidence that like, I like weird movies and stuff. And I know for me personally, if somebody had gone over there and told me that was a thing they were going to do, even I would have clipped an eyebrow and been like, okay. We'll trust you, but we'll see where you go with this rock thing. But <laughs> Yeah. And as an amateur fight scene aficionado, what would you... How would you rate some of the fight scenes for this one? There's one in particular toward the end that I'm picturing in my hand with the butt plugs too. And then I will, and I'll go over there and I'll actually give a nice little shout out. They don't need it or anything, but the two guys who are involved with said butt plug scene, they're actually part of a, of a crew. They've been slowly building their way out. They're called Marshall Club, named after a famous Shaw Brothers film. It's an excellent movie, by the way. And they, uh, they have their own YouTube channel. And for years they were doing just basically fight scene shorts and everything. And they slowly but surely have gone over there and just made their way into into the industry to the point where now, yeah, they're fighting against fucking Michelle Yeoh, which that for me would be the peak of anything I ever did. So to your question as to main thing is when it comes to, when it comes to everything, everywhere, all at once, it's not a martial arts movie. No, definitely not. It's a movie that has some martial arts. And so it almost becomes like secondary not even secondary way way like 13th in dairy because <laughs> it's cool and, and i loved seeing it like it, it's fantastic especially getting to see the character of wayman in his scene because i mean he's this completely unassuming guy you don't expect it yeah the build up to it okay. what makes it and on me i'm over here and i'm watching and it's like, now wait a second okay wait a second <laughs> I own a couple of movies you did after the Goonies where I saw you kick the shit out of people at Taekwondo, so I know you can do this stuff for real. But just in terms of the overall quality and everything, was it perfectly shot for the way that I would like a perfectly martial arts scene to be? No, but at the same time, that also would have taken away focus from what was going on. And it's facilitating the story, not the action. It's not like a John Wick film or something like that. (laughs) This This is, okay, this is a thing. It's meant to keep your attention. It does that perfectly. But the fights aren't, none of the fights are very long. Yeah. They, but they go over there, they do what they do need to do, and they tell a story. And that's the great thing about them is the character, the Wayman scene and everything tells a very specific story. When it gets to the butt plug scene, it's an odd story, but it is trying to tell <laughs> part of the story. And it's probably the most self-indulgent that they actually go when it comes to a fight scene. And I know for a fact that the Marshall Club guys, like they, they specifically choreographed that. I think they choreographed everything. Or more or less, but that That's I know cool. specifically because they had two of the members specifically working with Michelle Yeoh. And it's the basis for a great fight scene can be lots of different things. It can be the choreography, it can be the way that it's edited. In the case with that particular scene, and it is choreographed really well. You get to see those guys on display. You know, it wasn't Michelle Yeoh for all of it. I am I'm certain of that. But she still definitely did a fair chunk of it and everything. Um, the way they highlighted it worked perfectly. And at the end of the day, it is a scene that every single person who has seen that movie will never forget for their entire lives. Ever. <laughs> so, Same thing with the hot dog fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, in that regard, yeah, it was very effective because, and this is something that I've been, I've gone over there and had discussions with 
people online because there's lots of different types of fight choreography and fight filming. And when it comes to a lot of that stuff, you can go over there and have incredibly excellent fight scene but if it doesn't tell a story then all you can appreciate it for is the athleticism and the design of the fight structure and everything mm -hmm. so cool but for myself like there's a lot of like older martial arts movies and stuff where they didn't have the benefit of the choreography that we have now and everything right. so it was a progress that i still absolutely love because of the way they're filmed the story they're telling and so I feel like that is really a perfect example of the fight scenes that they used in everything, everywhere, all at once. Like the point wasn't the fighting. The point was to have a conflict that makes sense in the film, sometimes with butt plugs, sometimes without. <laughs> and, and let's go over there. And so, yeah. It, That's really cool. I was, I've watched a ton of, before we started recording, but Quarter Crew did some breakdowns with stuntmen yeah. and women. And one of the things they talked about when, like, breaking down good and bad stunt sequences is basically every scene you're filming between basically from action to a cut, there should always be problem solution, basically, yep. is, is the way you should structure everything you do. And you're just trying to remember it as you're explaining it, it's like, you're totally spot on. I think you're right. Like, it's, there's always, like, an overarching problem that's trying to be solved in all of these action sequences. And then it's, like, you've broken them into smaller solutions, right? Like, when you look at minute to minute, or scene to scene in fight sequences, if there's some, if there's a reason for there to be a cut, that means there should be problem solution. And then a new problem is incoming for that new yep. cut to take place. Typically. Yep. Unless there's some reason to wipe the screen. Oh you yeah, can yeah. Cut the stunt doubles or not. Right. Yeah. So that you're not injuring people. Right. But that's technicalities and a little inside baseball, but yeah. it's really cool to hear you say that because I think you're totally right. And it's like nowadays, if you think back with Bruce Lee era films before, like they didn't really have the refined cinematography that oh, we have yeah. nowadays a lot of times it was just trusting that bruce lee knew how to and with his oh and, fighting and lot, with <laughs> and a lot of times it wasn't even that there there were trust me there were guys because bruce lee i mean for especially for western audiences that's where a lot of people think that's kind of like the genesis of maybe their martial arts history but it was going before that and, yeah it was probably in china that and, this was all going on first yeah and, and yeah there's a lot of things that they they did what they could with what they had and everything and some of this stuff was they would go over there and grease up the camera lenses and stuff like that to go over there and hide wires and things. And, oh, you know, really? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't have digital assist or anything. I was like, all right, we have to find ways to try to hide this stuff. It's not all perfect by any means, but it's, yeah, but it, absolutely. It is a thing where when you go back to those point in times, it really was, for the most part, it came down to the individual. Because you could go over there, you could do use stunt doubles and stuff like that. But it was harder to get away with because the end of the day, yeah, like I said, they don't just didn't have all the same tools and tricks that we do now. But great example, there was a guy named Jimmy Wang Yu. Who sadly passed away, I think, last year or maybe early this year. But he was like the first martial arts star. And oh, wow. even before Bruce Lee specifically was like, I want to be bigger than him. That's what he wanted to do. Oh, really? That's really cool. And Jimmy Wang Yu. Wasn't a martial artist. He went over there. He was, uh, I think he was like a water polo champ or something like that. He'd done a little military service. So when you see him going over there and doing stuff, and it's not beautiful by any stretch of the imagination, but when you see him going over there and he takes on 20 guys in three cuts, that's all him. And that's, that's really incredible when you consider the benefit that we have now where we can go over there and do these really elaborate stuff and everything. Okay, maybe somebody messes up or something like that. Okay, let's cut there. Let's rebuild from here. 
it's back then it's like, you screwed something up. All 20 guys get back in your get back in your places and uh, try to do this in three cuts again. Yeah. It's, I think part of this stuff too has like an allure, right? When you have Jackie Chan's and how, oh, yeah. and how he approached to, to stunt work and his crew and things like that, where it's that obsession to yep. getting the perfect cut. Because there is, especially amongst martial arts cinema fans, there is, because you could completely argue the point that especially with this, the level of filmmaking that we have available, why does it, it does, why does it matter if they're a martial artist? Why we could go over there and CG create a lot of this stuff anyway? What does it matter? And for a lot of people, it probably doesn't realistically, but for myself and for other martial arts cinema fanatics, there's, there's an added level of investment when we know, when you see Tony Jaa go over there and do some crazy bullshit that no human being should ever be able to do, it's extra cool that he actually did that. Now, they, from a filmmaking perspective, they could have just had a stunt guy do it. And it right. would have been the same thing. And for certain films, they do that, and it does just fine. I'm not crapping on that whole thing. But, but it's, at least it's still a human, a real-life human yeah. has to execute the stunt. But it, 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 it just, it is, going back to Jackie Chan, it's, yeah, before Jackie went over there and did 99% of his stunts, his stunt guys went over there and tried it 18 times until they got it just right. They probably got hurt while they were doing it. But... <laughs> On the 18th one, that's Jackie jumping from a building onto a balcony. And it's ridiculous. It's unnecessary. He could have killed himself. Man, you're going to remember that forever. More contemporary, too. One of the things that strikes me is watching Top Gun Maverick. You know how you say you can f put some of the stuff in oh, CG yeah. and, or make... Or well, you can or you could get Tom Cruise. Or you could get Tom Cruise and put him in an F-16. He's and just like, him... I'll fly the plane. I don't care. And it's like, it's and it's like do it I mean, part of it's like you can't fake certain elements, no. right? Like you could try to predict that and make yep. like a fake fuselage with green screen or blue screen. But you still can't get that realistic face tugging that yep. when you actually put someone in a cockpit of a plane, yep. this is what it looks like when your face is under pressure and you're turning and moving at 100, over 100 miles an hour. Yep. Or 500 miles an hour, whatever it happens to be. Not slow, yeah. <laughs> say that. And it's like, why do people, why does that get butts in seats? Yep. Because there's a connection made there's to the characters and like the situations they're put in. When you have like filmmaking and stuff like that, there's an automatic disconnect with the audience because at the end of the day, we're real. It's not. Mm. like that just, that just is what it is. And so that's why you have the suspension of disbelief. Now, the thing is, the further, the closest you can come to reality, the more and more, the less and less, rather, disbelief you have to suspend. And so when you go over there and when they take this extra time to go over there and do these things for real, on some level, our brain recognizes that and it makes us happy inside a little. Even if we don't fully <laughs> appreciate it. And like I said, for a lot of the type of films that I do, there's, an, there's a much more tangible aspect to it because... It's cool if, you know, there's a cool fight scene or something. It's just cooler on a mental level if you know that the guy who's actually doing it is like a descended from a third generation Shaolin monk family and stuff right, like yeah. that. Does that help the movie at all? Probably not in the grand scheme of things, but it makes me feel better. So <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's to me, it's uh, like kind of going back to everything all at once. Yeah. Like, like, you have, for in a lot of ways, everything all at once is completely over the top, and... There's a lot to suspend your disbelief yeah. because of how bombastic it is in so many ways. But like what we were saying before we started recording is everything all at once is like the film version of a Rick and Morty yeah. episode. 
and if you've anyone's watched Rick and Morty, I'm assuming most of you have at least watched one, is it's ridiculous and it's totally insane, and the continuity doesn't need to make any sense, <laughs> and it usually doesn't. Yeah, and that's what everything all at once does. And so for I think the average person, it might lose you because of some of the over top stuff. Yeah, but if you step back and say this is just trying to poke fun at the ridiculousness of like our modern lives because in some sense we can literally go on anything across any social media platform or anything on the internet for that matter and find something bombastic oh, and yeah. over the top within 10 seconds yeah and so that's what the film is trying to confront you with because it's like why are we having all this like how do we contend with this flood of yeah. information that's useful or not right yeah. it doesn't matter what it is it just is it's this there and ever present and how do we filter for that yeah it's chaos like, i guess is the best way to describe that it's like if you grew up enjoying aqua teen hunger force you'll probably mm. on be on point with kind of what it's trying to do because it, yeah because it is and one of the things that was the most surprising to me going back to my personal experience when i saw it in theaters was the fact that, like I said, in the dead center, there was this, this elderly couple. They were elderly, elderly. They were older folks. And it was like, in my brain, because we have certain prejudices and everything, I was like, maybe they got lost or something. Maybe they're in the wrong theater. Or the, the best case scenario, maybe they're just trying to fill out their day. You're older, you just do stuff to fill out your day. And I'm not trying to hate anybody or anything like that. But then again, now it's just that little tick in my head that clicked off for two seconds before I was like, don't be that guy. But as I was over there in the movie, there's not, like I said, there's only a few other people in there. So they're close to me. I'm watching them. They're laughing at every part that I'm laughing. They're emotionally invested with everything that I'm emotionally invested in. And it's just like, they, they're getting it. They're 100% getting it. And they, again, because there is just that bias, my brain was like, they're, they're an older people. They're not going to get the hot dog fingers. They're right, not yeah. hot dog fingers. But no, they laughed their asses off at it. They cleared. And when everything was said and done, they got up. They're like, that was really good. And it was like, yes, okay. That's really cool. So it's. I think that's part of the thing that makes film and just storytelling interesting, right? You don't need to, to, at least in modern times, it feels like there's this like hyper fixation to make things relatable to today or yeah. insert some sort of contemporary oh, depending yeah. to it. And it's like, this film had none of that. No. It was just telling a story about a family who, if you zoom out, right, instead of looking at the specific imagery on, the, on, on screen, there's just a whole bunch of issues, right, that yeah. normal people go through yep. in their lives, right? Like, you have Evelyn, who's middle-aged, decided to marry a guy who didn't really go anywhere in life, and now they manage a laundromat together. Yep. And they also have a teenage daughter who... Like many people in their teenage years who are younger, she's lost, who are lost and are confused about where, like, where they are going to be in society, what's going to bring them fulfillment. And their mother or their parents don't seem to understand them for whatever reason. Yeah. It, it doesn't need to be overt in any sense. It's just yeah. generational divide. And yeah. then on top of that, you have the whole immigrant aspect of the story, which I thought played out really well yeah. because she has, Evelyn has her father who's overbearing and. Yeah. And what you'd expect from a an immigrant father. Yeah, but from a lot of, because I fully admit, I, and some people trash it, but I love it. I enjoy watching reaction videos. I do too. And <laughs> I love watching reaction movies, videos to movies. And when Everything Everywhere All at Once came out, 
before it had even been out for that long, there were a bunch of them starting to come out because people had to react to this. And watching more than once, because, you know, numerous people, have, and I, I love watching, seeing different people's responses to it and everything. In a few instances, the people who are going over there and watching it were of Asian descent. And every single one of them, when they had the family dynamics and stuff, they, you could see them cringe and they're just like, yeah, no, that's when Michelle Yeoh's character comes out and goes over there in the first, the first scene when she's over there with her daughter and she's about to leave. And she clearly wants to tell her something heartfelt, but instead she just goes over there and tells her that she needs to start eating better because she's getting fat. Every single one of the, they're just like, yeah, no, that's an Asian family right there. That's exactly how we do it. It's just. No meaning, no meaningful conversations, just no feelings, just blunt to the point. What is going to hurt you the most, but in a way that they love and care about you and language, love language, blunt and yeah, exactly. blunt force trauma. And then I'll say too, I'm not of Asian descent, but I did have a dad who was very much in that same line of thinking where <laughs> there, he was somebody who did not believe in tact at his own admission. So yeah, I, you know, maybe it wasn't quite the same experience. But there were definitely times when I was watching and I'm like, yeah, that's some shit my dad would say. <laughs> yeah, give a damn about my feeling. I think that's part of what, when films do things well, especially like this, right? Because I haven't honestly seen a film that wasn't so narrow in its scope. Like it, it did blow up into yeah. this like, world saving thing, but it's, it's misconception. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's like a visual misconception because it seems extremely large given the scope of everything. Yes. But it's all actually just this one story. It's all about just the family yeah. dynamic. It's really just going over there. It borrows from different things that are further outside of that, obviously. It all relates back to just this one family. Everything comes down to this one family. Everything else, even the greater aspect at large with the multiverse and everything, that's all superfluous. Yeah. It's just used as an element, as a storytelling element. Yeah. To go over there and just say, okay. Because they could have told almost the exact same story, if not the exact same story, without the multiverse aspect. They could have just had it been a drama about these this family that clearly has problems and it still and, would have and, made a good movie. And honestly. wishing for a life that could have been yeah. or whatever. Dealing with mental health issues and clearly a lot of stuff that's going on and everything. You could have told that story without any of those elements, but they went over there and chose to have that be their background to go over there and use this to not only create a more interesting film, but to go over there and make it feel really big. I think it ratcheted up like the, the immersion to the story. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, because it gives you toward the middle of the film where it's like Evelyn's jumping into her other possible sel selves. And some of them are silly and some of them yeah. are like really heartfelt where like when she becomes like the superstar and stuff like that. Yep. And, and, and just was Michelle Yeoh in actuality. Right, yeah. <laughs> As well, this is the universe where Michelle Yeoh is Michelle Yeoh, yeah. But then they have the really touching scene with Raymond at the very end because Somehow, like, yeah, they're they playing with each this, other. yeah, they're playing with this theme of fate or destiny, and, yeah. and it's like, he, he ends up, like, they're both superstars in their own sense, and yeah. he goes over to her, and he's like, I still would have liked to own a yeah, laundromat yeah. with you and yeah. be dirt poor or whatever, and, and it hits everybody in their feels, because... I'm like getting goosebumps that I explain oh, it because yeah. the starting of that story is she's worried about bills and the IRS tax collection lady yep. is like, what the hell's going on? You guys can't even manage a budget. The it fact it just it, sets up for that perfectly heartfelt. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. No, and it's, and that's the thing. It, like I said, cause it 
really does go over there. If you watch trailers for it, don't watch trailers for it, by the way. Just go watch it. If you just go watch it right now. Whatever, whatever you're doing, I don't care if you're bathing your child, whatever. They'll be fine. <laughs> they, they float. But no, when it, but especially if you see it, it presents itself like it is a certain movie. And it's all there. They're not lying to you. But it's so much bigger than that, while at the same time being so much more condensed. And I know for myself personally, I have a great deal of love for when a story is condensed. Because I can enjoy grand scope things, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and things. That's cool. I like that too. But I love films that go over there and they're just like, this is the story. This is the story's end. That's all we need. We don't need to go over there. And, and again, going back to like martial arts movies and stuff like that. The first Raid movie. I love that movie. It goes over there. It's this is what we're doing. This is what's going to happen in the movie. That's what happens. There's nothing else to it. <laughs> and now, obviously, with everything everywhere all at once, there is more to it. And there are so many layers of you can, there's so many ways that you can read the way the film works out and everything. There's oh, yeah. So many ways that you can take it. But at, the, but at the end of the day, again, it is ultimately just a story about this family, about dealing with their issues and everything. And just presented in a very broad spectrum, presented to look very large. In a lot of ways, it, going back to Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, it does exactly the opposite of what that does and why it does it so well. Because in that film, it wants to be this big thing, yep. but it never delivers on it. Never. And as a result, it just feels very, okay, it happened. Whereas with everything, everywhere, all at once, it doesn't want to be a big thing. It wants to be a small thing that just has a big lens cast on it. And that's exactly what it does and exactly why. Well, it's In some sense, it's like that's what it feels like when you're having issues in your family, right? Because oh, yeah. it's like your family is such a oh, huge yeah. part of your life. So it feels like it's the end of the world oh. when there's these massive world-shattering issues. Oh, and so it's, of course it's going to feel like the end of the world because it is, in some sense, the end of the world for you. <laughs> One of the things... Because it's when it speaks to how well crafted a movie it is, it is one of those things where like almost every person who I've shown it to has taken different elements of it away from it than I personally did. And when I showed it to my one friend Joe, who he deals with a lot of mental health issues and stuff like that, he in a very different way than I did. And to the extent we're literally at the end of the movie, he asked me, he's so did any of that just happen, or was that all just in Evelyn's head? And I, I've that, heard of that theory. That never occurred to me when I watched it. Like, I just took it as what it was. He went over there and really presented this whole other level of symbolism to it because he's a lot of the things that I deal with personally, I see in the character of Evelyn, I see in her daughter. And so like, he had this extra connection to it. Whereas for myself, I had certain a certain connection with the relationship between Evelyn and her daughter. Because in certain ways, it mirrored the relationship that I had with my dad. So I took it from that emotional perspective. Yeah. And again, I I feel like everything was extremely deliberate in what they did with yeah. that film. And I think that question that you asked is like, did it happen in her head or not? I think the, oh, yeah. they made it ambiguous in that way. Yeah. I think if you... To, I think, to let people be like, sure, yeah. if that's what you want it to be, if then you fine. Want to take it from that perspective, there is absolutely the case to be made. That is the, That's what it is. And that everything is just... Really just the relationship between primarily the mother and daughter and then having the father as the outlier, but then ultimately being the thing that saves everything together. You could very much, and I know there was a thing where when when they were first developing the character of Evelyn, originally it was supposed to be a male character, it was supposed to be Jackie Chan. 
No way. But he turned it down because he was doing other stuff and he does what he wants. And when they went over there and they gave it to Michelle Yeoh, that's when the character really just came out for him. And they were like, okay, we totally need to craft this around a female character because it's just, it just works so much better at, with what we're trying to do anyway. But one of the, I believe it was one of the directors, just two directors who directed it. He originally was writing the character of Evelyn as being though she had ADHD. Okay. But ultimately he decided to stop short of going over there and saying so explicitly because he didn't want to go over there. And it was actually interesting too, because he, upon building the character and looking more into ADHD, he actually realized he had ADHD himself. <laughs> wow. Um, but he, like I said, he stopped short because he didn't want to go over there and ex expressly say it because obviously that's something that afflicts people. It's a very personal thing. He didn't want to go over there and say, this is what this character, this isn't what this character. Write them that, yeah. go that specific. Yeah. But there might be elements of her personality that people who, who deal with that or deal with other mental afflictions might be able to resonate with. And yeah, I just think that's such a, it's such an incredible way to craft a character, to go over there, to have that level of depth to a character where they can just go over there and appeal to so many different people in so many different ways. It's to me, it's like the, there's like a saying where it's like, when you, it sounds weird, but it's when you go specific, the specific becomes general yeah. because you could take this one specific instance in this story. And all of a sudden, even though it feels hyper-specific, all these people, you just gave all these different examples of different people looking at it with different lenses. Yep. And extracting some sort of nugget that they can either relate to or use to make sense of their own life. Like, and it sounds silly, right? Because they, they almost like are making fun of how everyone in, in the world is talking about the multiverse yeah, okay, type yeah. stuff right now. Yeah. Where they call it the everything bagel, right? Yeah. And it's, that's the chaos of, the, of it all. That's the, that's the bagel of it all. <laughs> yeah. Because it does feel like this ridiculous Thing. And it's almost like you, there is no name for it because it's like saying it's the boogeyman. And yeah. it's like, what the fuck is the boogeyman? And so they're just like, it's the everything bagel. And yeah. it, here it is. Ta da! Like, yeah. And no wonder it feels banal because it's like nobody can describe it. <laughs> and when they, before they officially unveiled the bagel, the big chaotic thing, when Alpha Wayman is talking with, with Evelyn in a hall and he's describing the fact that, that, this is what's being built and the effect that it's having on the multiverse and the fact that the way he describes it is like things just don't feel right yeah or just it doesn't even have to be big things it's just little things don't feel right and that for me was a moment that actually gave me chills because there are 100 percent times in your life at least for me personally where it's like, it just doesn't feel right like it just and you can't put your finger on it. You can't go over there and say it's because of stress, because of bills or because of this or whatever. It's just, there's times where it's something just, just off. Yeah. Something just feels off and you just want it to quote him. You just want to be able to get back to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And again, I think that's just, I think that's like craving of like nostalgia, right? Like we're seeing, like I was, again, another thing we were talking about before we got into the podcast is we, like this craving for nostalgia for people that are like, your age or my age in that generational area and it's like you're seeing all these like remakes and re-releasings of things that were like it's so weird to say this but like ever like now when i watch stuff about history of the 90s and it was like the 90s was a golden era and stuff yeah, like that yeah, and i'm like yeah. and i'm like really oh man. the 90s kid i'm like was it everything great quote unquote but it makes it feel like yeah. well, the golden age of the of disney cartoons and the golden age yeah. of 
X, Y, or Z thing, right? And you're seeing all this stuff trying, they're trying to capture the essence of simpler oh, yeah. times. Okay. And as somebody who has a great deal of fondness and love for, for history as a subject, but let me just tell anybody who might be listening, it was never as good as you fucking thought it was. <laughs> Ever. You know why you think it was great? Because you were a kid. You had no, hopefully, hopefully you had a good childhood. Not everybody does, but and probably no stress, no bills. When you were, oh, the, the things weren't so divisive in politics. I'm guessing you weren't too concerned about what Bob Dole's politics were. You know why I thought Bob Dole was going to be a good candidate when I was that age? Because his name was Bob Dole. <laughs> And something in my tiny freaking seven-year-old head was like, I can get down with a guy named Bob Dole. Didn't matter. So yeah, people can seriously get fucked with that whole thing. Because it's, I'm not saying, hey, there's, there are definitely things where you can point to it and say, okay, maybe this was a little bit better. Maybe that was a little better. But to anybody who has these things, if, oh, society was so much better. Never mind all the social implications about how it was probably way, way worse for so many people. Maybe just not you specifically. <laughs> I want you to go back to the 1920s, okay? And you can do whatever 1920s people did. Not have microwaves or modern dentistry. Okay. Go over there and don't get cancer in the 1920s. I want you to go over there and see what they have on offer for you. And can, please tell me how fantastic ye olden times was. Ye so, olden times. And I'm sorry. It's Look, there, there's that part of me because I love history. Yeah, there's that doofy part of me that's like, one day I hope that a wormhole just opens up and I get sucked into samurai times and I get to bust out a katana and be a hero and do the whole thing. In reality, I'd be dead in like probably less than 42 hours because I'd run into some Japanese guy carrying a sword or bow or staff or something. I wouldn't be able to speak to him. And he would just be like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't like this. And then I just get speared because I'm not the chosen one. Yeah, you're spot on. I talk about this all the time is we like to look back with rose colored glasses on history, which is fair. But in, in a lot of respects, most of us are, we're very fortunate to be born in the time for VR because we have things like AC and, and we have Uber where we can, or Uber Eats rather, and we can do these simple things that kings would wish upon each other there was uh, i forget who it was off the top of my head but he was a youtuber he put it perfectly the whole discussion came up about who's wealthier and it was like i believe it was either elon musk or jeff bezos or it was this historical figure whose name i can't remember off the top of my head but he was like this king in, i want to say in africa and he was absurdly wealthy he was so wealthy that when he and his entourage went to egypt they went over there and literally sunk their economy because they were just passing out gold like it wasn't even a thing. So gold became almost worthless. It took 10 years for their economy to recover just from him going over there and tossing it around. And so the question has become, who, who's richer? And, and the person who is presenting it, he's, here's what people don't really, in terms of monetary aspects, it's always going to be, if not impossible, extremely difficult to go over there and say because how much was it worth? But he's like, here's what, here's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, that guy, for everything that he had going for him, he still lived like 2,000 years ago. Okay. The best that his life could be, even with all the money that he had, would probably be not that great by today's standards. Yeah, I'm sure he had people serving him and doing this. Also, probably had to worry about dysentery and where he was going to poop. And living in Africa with no air conditioning and stuff. Yeah. Probably wasn't that great overall. And obviously it's to a much less extreme extent. But 
that is very, it is a thing when people go over there and they say, oh, I want to back in the, the, this day or that day. It's not saying certain things weren't better. Not saying there aren't certain things that I pine for from my youth, but in so many other ways, it's no, it's clearly better in a lot of other ways. And it's just, I usually don't like to use the term rose colored glasses because I feel like oftentimes people use it to be dismissive and without giving, and being that somebody who likes like older video game systems, especially somebody who likes the PlayStation, People use that term a lot. Oh, you just like it because rose-colored glasses. I like it because I like it. <laughs> I'm not going to go over there and say, yeah, look, the original Ape Escape doesn't exactly hold up graphically these days. But you know what? It makes me feel good when I play it. <laughs> and that's a, valid, that's a valid enough reason for me to keep doing it. So don't be dismissive of it. But at the same time, do I think that people go over there and look back on things nostalgically and go over there and think, oh man, this was so great. And you know, this without actually trying to give it extra context, of course. And some of that's just bias. You, some of it is impossible to go over there and do, because again, when you were that age, you didn't care about this stuff. You right. weren't worried about the politics of the day or the economy and all that stuff. I'm sure it sucked then. Guess what? Politicians have sucked forever. <laughs> As soon as there were more than one politician, they didn't like each other and they were bad. And so I don't care what side of things you're on or whatever. There's definitely worse and better times historically, depending where you look at it and stuff. It's not all linear, but more than often than not, as you progress, things get better. And typically you don't take too many big steps back. Typically. Yeah. You know, when people complain about this, that, or the other thing. And, and so, yeah, there, there is that want for nostalgia and it's not a bad thing. It's not an inherently bad thing. But it's important, like with everything in life, to give it context, to go over there right. and keep it grounded. Because I grew up in the 90s. Do I want to go over there and be transported back to the 90s? No, there'd be some guy with a backwards and I wouldn't be able to understand him because I don't remember the lingo and he'd shoot me because I'm not the chosen one. Wouldn't be good. What but... I'm getting out of this is you're not the chosen one. <laughs> you're not Neo. <laughs> Either I have enough of a self-depreciation. <laughs> look at myself or you could be the last samurai though i could be tom cruise in that movie where he was like i'm the white guy who's gonna save the day they have no context for this historically i hate that i like that movie so much it's so bad in so many ways and it like, has not aged well every, oh it didn't age it didn't age well then okay that came out and being somebody who likes that stuff and everything there was a huge part of me that was like this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Someone, I'm, someone must have read a Wolverine comic book when I, he went to Japan. And exactly. like, we could totally try to do this with the top. Yeah. And it's, I hate that I like it because it does have some actors that I love and the action scenes are actually nice and they look good and stuff. It's, this movie, I should hate it so much, but I do kind of like it. It's so good that you're, I'm glad you brought it up with the whole nostalgia thing of the rose colored glasses or, or putting in context. Because in a lot of sense, yeah, we formulate our, our opinions on things, not because of like the facts, but how they make us feel. And so one of the things that I've tried to do, remember is like the reason you might be connected to something isn't related to the specifics, but it could be related to the unique slice in time, right? If you read a book or watch a movie or whatever, right? The reason that book or movie could hit you in a certain way is like unique to like where you were at that particular moment, right? Because you try to go revisit that sometime in the future. Oh yeah. Effectively, you could be a different person yeah. and it might not hit you the same oh, way. Yeah. And you might just end up hating the thing when you're second pass. Yeah. You're like, fuck. And there's a there's a real thing like that they've been able to go over there in one measure. There is an aspect of our brains that loves nostalgia. We get something out of it chemically. And for better or worse, whatever 
purpose it was originally intended to serve, it can be that thing where we do, we, maybe we are a little bit more forgiving of certain things in our past. Or conversely, maybe we go over there and like you said, we take it, we look back on it and it's not what we remember. So it bugs, you know, bugs that part of our brain because we want it to be that good. Yeah. But it, at the end of the day, I mean, if there's any words of wisdom I could give out to the universe, context is everything in life. It really, I don't care what you're talking about, it's politics or whatever, because the way I always look at it is if you go over there and you envision in your head, you've got a square, right? And it's just yellow for the sake of being a color. It's just a yellow square. If you just look at it as a yellow square, because that's what you think it is, then it's always going to be a yellow square. You're always going to approach it as a yellow square. You're always going to treat it as a yellow square. But if you go over there and let's say you take it in your mind and you go over there and you shift it a little bit. Now you see that it's got three dimensions, but is it actually three dimensional or is it just two walls? Maybe it's just a square and a square. Now you have to go over there. You have to lift it up and now you can see, okay, well now it's got a top also. All right. And maybe the top is green. Maybe it's you, the more you go over there and you take something and you move it around in your mind and you try to go over there and get new context, the more you're going to actually see of the picture. And I feel like far too often people just, they just want that one context. They want yeah. what is going to make them yep. get to yellow square because I see a yellow square. That's what it is forever. I, typically I try to give people <laughs> a certain amount of credit. Hey, everybody does their own thing. No, if that's your thinking. I'm not saying you have to, but that's your thinking. You need to readdress your thinking because life just doesn't work. There's yeah. infinite variables. It, it reminds me of the parable. It's the blind men and the elephant. And so you basically have a whole, like five different blind men and they're all touching the elephant in different spots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you have one guy touching the trunk and he's, it's clearly a snake. Yep. And the other guy's touching one of the legs and he's like, no, it's clearly a column. Or someone grabs the tail and he's, no, clearly it's, I don't know, remember what that yeah. one was. Or it's like, I'm touching the ear and it's, it's clearly a giant fan yep. or whatever. And it's, of course, within every one of their single contexts, they're all right. Yeah. To some degree or another. But it's when you all put all of their context yeah. together, you finally get the full picture and yeah. you're like, oh, wait, maybe we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, exactly. And that's how you bring the picture out. That's how. And I think that the, when it comes to, like I said, e honestly, everything, I don't think there's a subject simple enough where you can go over there and shift it at least one degree and think about it a different way. And again, going back, bringing it back to everything everywhere all at once, that's clearly something that they had in mind. There's so much context to everything that they're doing in that film. Everything is deliberate, but everything is meant to go over there and make you, because it's as soon as it came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, because I'm a million years old and I still buy Blu-ray. <laughs> as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, I bought it on... First, I bought it on DVD because I accidentally bought it on DVD. And I was like... So I bought it on Blu-ray and I gave the DVD away to somebody. But as soon as I got it, I, I watched it. And every time I've watched it again, there's new things to it. And it's another really great example. And I don't know if you've seen this film. If you haven't, I highly suggest it. It's a movie called SLC Punk. See it. For me, it's one of my favorite films of all time. Like... When people ask me what my favorite film is, and mind you, ooh, that's always a foggy question, <laughs> but I typically say the first Predator and SLC Punk are tied for first. I could add in so many others that are technically tied for that position, but those are the easiest ones. And everybody knows Predator and hardly anybody knows SLC Punk. So it's a nice little dichotomy that I can throw at people. And SLC Punk for me was a, it was a movie that when the first time I saw it, 
was like the perfect movie to see because I just gotten out of high school. I was having a lot of kind of personal identity questions about myself because for the first time in my life, I wasn't in a structured environment where I felt like I had to fit a certain role and kind of play mm. a certain part. And that's what that film is all about. It's all about self-discovery and the main character's journey of basically trying to figure out he has this notion of himself. And now he's his case is out of college versus being out of high school. He has to go over there and readdress things because he's getting older and certain things that he felt were fundamental aspects of himself no longer hold weight anymore because he mm. has more experience. And to go back to my point of context, that's another movie that I'd probably watch it once or twice a year. And it is a movie that every major change in my life as I shifted from being kid out of high school to eventually, I didn't really do college very much, but when I got into my 20s and everything, and then eventually into my 30s, I've gone over there and taken something completely different away from that movie every single time I've That's watched cool. it. Because there's just, because there was something that as an 18 year old kid, I could watch that movie and I felt the rebellious nature of the character and his want to still be this, this certain person that he felt that he was. And then by the time I got into my thirties and I watched it again, when I got to the end of the movie, and I won't spoil it, but it, it had this like much different aspect of reflection in myself where it was like, wow, I didn't typically consider myself to be somebody who's very introspective, very aware of who I am. But you, the older you get, the more you realize you're not like you, you're just not because <laughs> there's all this stuff that's inside. You're, we're all special magical butterflies and we all have these complex things about ourselves that we're just not always conscious of. And so it is that thing of, I didn't go over there. I, I didn't ever approach the movie taking it, it's wanting to go over there and I'm going to move it around. And I'm going to already had a notion of what I felt I could take away from the movie and that I still like that aspect of it. But as I got older, my context had to change because I'm not the person I was when I was 18. Dressed the same. I changed in a lot of other aspects. Still play the same video games and stuff. I haven't changed as much as most people, but I still had to go over there and fundamentally change certain parts of myself just to adapt to being an adult. And as an adult watching that movie again, it was just like, it just suddenly hit me all of a sudden where it was like, no, and inner realizations that I have to process now. So Did we say everything, everything, everything yeah, yeah, all yeah. to a certain extent <laughs> where I was just like the, literally the very last line of the movie had a very different context for me when I was 18 versus when I was 30, it, literally the exact opposite. And so that's dope. Yeah. So. Don't watch the sequel. Never watch. It. It's a bad sequel. It's a very, very bad sequel. When people talk about what's the worst sequel, it's SLC Punk 2. It is the worst sequel. Promise you. Don't watch the sequel. It's <laughs> awesome. It was cool to just, I think you're totally spot on with that. There's certain things that just stick with you and you're at different stages of life. You're going to see it in different ways. And that's just normal, right? We're, we like to think we're static in some sense, but unfortunately we're not. No, and even going back to everything, everywhere, at all at once, when you see the flashback from Evelyn's perspective, two kids who are in love, who are willing, they're just going to, they're going to do their own thing, even though it means hardship, going <laughs> to another country and, and, but they're, they're going to find their way. They're going to do their thing. And then as time goes by, of course, now you have a kid. Maybe you weren't super happy with the fact that you're running a dry cleaning business, 
you have a kid now. Doesn't matter what you like anymore. You're an adult. You're and you got to take care of this exactly. little human. <laughs> By the way, that isn't something I should have to tell people, but I sadly do. If you have a kid, whatever dreams you had are on hold. I don't care. <laughs> Not saying don't give up on them. Wait till they're out of high school or some shit. Okay, don't go over there and I'm gonna be a professional streamer. You got three kids and you're over there. <laughs> okay, sorry, you're done. <laughs> so it's called responsibility. People are surprisingly low on responsibility. So, <laughs> mind you, I say that, and I'm like one of the least responsible people you could ever meet. But it's like, I, you know, certain things. Come on now. Just even I'm like, <laughs> I don't have a kid because I'm responsible. Because I realize how piss poor that would go if I had somebody going over there and relying on me to live and exist. But at the same time, if I did, it'd be like, all right, sorry, Brandon Jr. Probably not going to have the best of lives, but. You're going to get a lot of cool video game stuff that no one, none of your friends are going to know anything about. And we're going to eat a lot of cheeseburgers because I like to eat cheeseburgers. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but I'm going to make sure that you have a roof over your head and that you go to school and all that good stuff and hopefully keep you off meth. That's, you, you can't really ask for much more than that. That seems pretty decent. Yeah, that's how I was raised. My, my dad had a lot of shortcomings <laughs> as a father, but he went over there. He made sure that there was a roof over my head. We got to eat and I didn't and end reptiles. up. Yeah. I didn't end up on. <laughs> I'm just. You don't have to be a perfect parent to be a good parent. Just if that's that advice, I don't know what yeah. is. That's pretty good. And again, going back to everything, everywhere all at once. That's exactly. It's learning to be a parent. Evelyn is trying. She has this disconnect with her daughter and everything like that. And she's not a perfect parent. And she even eventually goes over there and realizes that was a generational thing. That her father wasn't a perfect parent. And she was just going over there and doing inadvertently. She was doing what her father had done to her with her own daughter. And she had to realize that because at the end of the day, it is a thing where, you know, whether you're a fictional character in a movie with a struggling laundromat and what have you, or whether you're out living in the real world and dealing with your own strife and stuff, do the best that you can. And hopefully everything works out as best as it can. Yeah. And with that note, I think we'll leave that at that. Okay. That's, we just hit the hour mark and there's not a better way to end it. We ended it with the end of the movie. That was awesome and appreciate you coming back on. I'm yeah. sure we'll have more, yeah. way more to talk about going down the road, but it was fun. Yeah. yeah it's always a good time.